0: Well, many decades ago, that means a whole long time ago, I was thinking about this. It's 75 years ago already. I wasn't born yet. Might look it, but I wasn't born yet. All right, a notorious organized crime leader named Mickey Cohen. You can Google that later. Don't Google it now because you'll be distracted. He attended a Christian meeting in Beverly Hills. Well, this meeting was led by a new evangelist. Now, you know how long ago this was. A new evangelist who was just starting out. His name was Billy Graham. Now, no one had really heard about Billy Graham yet, but they had heard about Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen was famous. Well, Mickey was attracted to what he heard that night, and he was... His he was perked. His, he was peaked. He was oh man, this is this is interesting stuff. And then afterwards, Billy and some of the others talked to him, and they told him about the way of salvation. But he made no commitment at that time. He didn't. He didn't want to follow Christ then. A while later, a Christian friend read Revelation three twenty to him. Now I'm sure that many of us have. Uh, now I'm sure that many of us have. Uh, memorize that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. That sounds... Mickey, is, is that is that something that you want to have happen to you? Is that Do you want Christ to come figuratively into your life and not figuratively into your life? Do you want that to happen? And he said, well, sure. That's That sounds like a good thing. I'd, I'd like that. Well news of his conversion made quite a sensation if this was, I mean, this man was a mob boss. And because of that, Billy Graham, and like other things, he became famous, he became known across the nation, but man, Mickey Cohen? Well, there was only one small problem. Nothing in Mickey Cohen's life changed. He said the words, but nothing in his life changed. And when his friend confronted him about it, Mickey complained. He said this. He said, you didn't tell me that I'd have to give up my work, mafia. You didn't tell me I'd have to give up my friends, gangsters. Mickey had heard so-and-so, so-and-so is a Christian athlete, so and so is a Christian entertainer. So and so is a Christian actress or actor. I thought I could be a Christian gangster. Cohen continued in his lifestyle, was later convicted of tax evasion for a second time, and was eventually released after 11 years in heavy duty confinement and he died of stomach cancer some four years after that. We all know people like Mickey Cohen. Now, probably not notorious criminals. I don't know any gang members or gang, excuse me, gang bosses, I do know some gang members. But but we probably know, you probably know some of these people too. Not notorious criminals, but people who love Jesus while they feel like it. They love Jesus as long as they get something out of it. And I put it in quotations. Not out of him, out of it. As long as it offers something. But soon they fall away. But there are others, some who claim to be Christ's, who are self-deceived and blind to the truth of the gospel. Those could be some of us. Well, this morning we begin a series of messages that will be my last that I preach as a full-time pastor. And people have asked me, leave me alone. Why are you talking? What are you going to preach on last? What are you going to preach about? And, of course, I didn't know. I was just trying to get through Ephesians. But as I prayed about it and thought about it, and because I love you, please do not tell anybody that. I wanted to make sure that you were confronted with the truth. I want you to face the personal question head on am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? Now, much of the series comes from a book that I recently read of the same title. It was written by Mike McKinley. But before you get offended, I don't consider any of you to be Mickey Cohen-esque. You know, the gangster category. But there are some people, and this is what hurts. There are some people who I've known over the years, who I've ministered to over the years, who many of you who ministered with me have thrown, put a bunch of our lives into those people, have tried to teach them about the ways of the Lord, and they've walked away. And that's heartbreaking and they've they confessed Christ as Savior, but they've walked away. There are others who are off, just dropped off the radar. They're gone. You know, we can blame COVID, but COVID pretty much is a common thing now, and they haven't come back. Others They're not antagonistic towards Christ, but they don't embrace Him. They're, I think, what Jesus called lukewarm Christians. And I don't know if they're a Christian at all, if they're lukewarm. Others, possibly some within the sound of my voice, that means you who are here and those who are online, believe that you're secure you know, you like the Doobie Brothers sing, I'm going back in the past. It's, you know, Jesus is all, just all right with me. Jesus is just okay. Jesus, He's my friend. That's a good thing. But as we'll see in a few weeks, God willing, you aren't a Christian just because you like Jesus. It's not even... What you say about him? It's what he says about you. It's whether you belong to him. A case in point: When Christ began His ministry, He sent out seventy-two people ahead of Him. These were in the Galilee region, and they just covered the whole area of northern Israel, or northern Judea, I would say, and they. They had great success and they came back and they told Christ what had happened. They said, we healed people. We healed people in your name and and we cast out demons. Even the spirits obeyed us. And Jesus said this, he said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus said elsewhere, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. In the last book of the Bible that we studied just last year, Revelation, towards the end of the book, the author wrote that he saw a vision of the great white throne. And Christ stood on that throne, sat on that throne, and there the book of life was opened up. And those found in that book were truly God's people. And everyone who was not found in that book was cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. While everyone who is found in that book enters into the New Jerusalem, we want to be found in that book. The bottom line is God knows who are His. But can that be said about us? Maybe I want to put it in a different way. Can the same be said about us? Now, I know none of you have ever had this happen to you. You wake up and you're late for work. And you quickly go in your closet and you grab the shirt off of the hanger and you quickly put it on, and then you walk outside, and then you get to work, or wherever you're going, and you have the shirt, inside out. Yes, it's, it's happened to me, surprise, I know. Or have you ever had this happen? You eat dinner, or eat a lunch, or eat something, of course, that the food, it hangs on, the, on your teeth and then you give a big grin and people are finally who are kind, they go, thank you for that. I thought I was fine. Even going back to the shirt, at least the last time I checked, I could dress myself. Evidently not. Do you know that we can be this way spiritually as well? and believe me the stakes are much higher than an embarrassing than the embarrassment of a clothing faux pas so i want to bring the question am i really a christian to the forefront once again jesus tells us about a group of people in matthew 25 i would ask you to turn there if you would i don't have the the page number for you but I do have the page number of where we're going to spend most of our time today, but Matthew 25. Jesus tells us a group of people in Matthew 25 who learn the truth too late. Matthew 25, verse 31. At the final judgment, it will be like this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Well, the sheep represent all those who are gods. Not gods, not little gods. I don't mean that. They are God's people. Those are the sheep. They're praised. They're told in verse 34, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And this is a group that we want to be part of. We want to be part of that group. The goats, I'm not talking about the greatest of all time here. The goats, no, we don't. That's not a group we want to be a part of. Speaking of the goats, Jesus says to them who are on his left. This is verse 41. Depart from me, you cursed into, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now let me bring two truths out out of many that we could draw from this passage. Truth number one, everyone there. Everyone there gathered considered themselves to be right with God, and I believe they expected to Jesus to give them approval. And when they heard the verdict, none of them threw up their hands saying this. None of them said this, "You were right, I was wrong." No, they didn't admit to that. Or, "Yeah, I never believed in you." No, they didn't say that or. Well, I should have never decided to reject you after all. No, none of them were consciously opposed to Jesus. None of them. Could they say, and I don't think it is out of the question, I think there's been some kind of mistake made here. You must be mistaken. Had they been brought together, they're expecting a reward, I think they had been. but they were utterly self-deceived. They had their shirts on backwards. They hadn't seen their true condition until it was too late. The second truth: who is the judge? Is it those who are gathered? No, it's Christ. He's the one who ushers people into eternal life or everlasting punishment. Those gathered, they don't have a say. They do not have a say. The truth is nothing, the truth is it's nothing you can say or any evidence that you bring will change the outcome. It's done. hear me, all the times that you prayed the sinner's prayer, your baptism record that you bring, here it is, see, I I was baptized. The times that you made commitments every summer at a summer camp, at a summer youth camp. The mission trips you went on. If Jesus Jesus doesn't look at you and say, she's one of mine, he's my sheep, none of it matters. You'll not be able to argue with the judge's verdict. Jesus warns those who are close to him with these chilling words, words that will be the basis of our series. Words that no one wants to hear. Now, I would ask that you do to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Page 812 on the blue Bibles if you need a Bible and that should be in front of you. Now, when you turn there, just, just keep your, your thumb in there or your fingers because this is where we're going to come back to later on. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and following. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you see what Jesus is saying here? It's possible. It's possible that you can honestly believe that you're a Christian that you're a follower of Christ and not be. It's possible to say, I belong, I did great things, I deserve to be a part of God's kingdom. And it's possible to say, Lord, Lord, but never enter the gates of heaven. The first message's title. This morning's title is simply this. You're not a Christian just because you say you are. You know, if you've been nodding off, I can't see anybody that was actually doing that, but reengage with me right now, please. Reengage. Because what I'm saying here is different than many churches, what many churches teach. And it's their intention, they're well intentioned. And I might add, they, they want to get the good news of Jesus out to everyone. Who doesn't? Jesus saves sinners. He died for you. He rose again. And yes, we want that to be available to everyone. And we're told to preach the gospel to every creature. So we are told to do that. What could be wrong with that? They make the decision to follow Jesus a little too easy. Have you ever heard this? I have Jesus as my Savior, but He's not my Lord. That will come later. I accept Him as my Savior. But I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. That's not a Christian. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. when I said they make it a little too easy, they make it about the decision. What am I saying? They just say, just say this. As I always like to say, just say the magic words. And you say it in the right way, and you're in. You say the exact words. You sign this card. Take these steps. Now you're a Christian. End of story. Case closed. Your ticket for you old goobers are punched. For you new folks, you're going to have your smartphone and you're going to have a barcode on that. And when you go through the gates of heaven, they're just going to scan it. Hear me carefully. It's true that there is a one-time decision to turn to Christ. Yes, everyone has to make that decision. Your parents cannot make it for you. Your Sunday school teacher cannot make it for you. Your grandparents or your great-grandparents will not be able to do that for you. But a true decision, a one-time decision, must be followed by an everyday decision to follow Jesus. Now think with me. I'm not just going to blow my own smoke here. Did Jesus think and say that it was enough to superficially identify yourself with Him? You know the answer to that. There's more to being His disciple than a mere profession of faith. And it's my fear that too many people and too many churches have encouraged people that because they have prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, raised their hand while every head was bowed. How unbiblical is that? Expect the Lord to say, Well done and faithful servant, but will in fact hear, Depart from me. They will hear the truth after it's too late. May it never be. Now I'm going to turn from preaching to meddling. Could it be possible that one of you, that you could be one of these people? Could it be that you really aren't a Christian? Well, how can we be sure? How can you be sure? I need to read this to make sure that I write this, or you hear this correctly. If you haven't figured it out, I want to make sure that you know that I know that this subject is complicated. Because not everyone who has become a Christian is automatically a super saint. We all have to go through life and we are sanctified day by day. We all struggle. But, men and women, boys and girls, if we are not changed, if there has not been a change from the inside out, if you don't want to do what God has asked you to do in His Word, you have to answer the question Am I a Christian? our thinking can go down a, a wrong path really quickly. One man has said, and one misunderstanding we must guard against is concerns the character of Jesus. And we're, we're looking at this and going, okay, so I said, I, I professed faith. Now is Jesus now all of a sudden going to get there and go, nope, wasn't good enough. Let me give you an illustration. One of the movies that I remember that came out when I was in junior high, and that, no, it was not a black and white silent film. It was in the dark ages, but it was was 1971, the 1971 version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'll cut quickly to, the f- to this chase. After Willie and Grandpa had gotten through, you know, the whole Willie, the Wonka chocolate factory, the maze, all the crazy stuff that went on. And they're getting ready. Willie's getting ready to collect his grand prize. And what was that prize? It was a, it was a lifetime supply of Wonka chocolate. Now, for you ladies that probably would want dark chocolate, but I don't know if Willy Wonka chocolate was that way. But Willy Wonka, who owns the factory, Grandpa and Willy come in there, and because of its technicality, Willy Wonka negates the prize. Now, I'm going to read the script. I'm going to be Gene Wilder. And I don't know what Grandpa Joe's name was, but... Follow along if you can. Grandpa Joe comes in. Mr. Wonka. Willy Wonka. I'm extraordinarily, extraordinarily busy, sir. Grandpa Joe says, I just wanted to ask about the chocolate, uh, the lifetime supply of chocolate for Charlie. When does he get it? He doesn't. Why not? Because he broke the rules. What rules? We didn't see any rules, did we, Charlie? Wrong, sir. Wrong. Under section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void and you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy. I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, the licenses herein and herein contained, et cetera, et cetera, fax mentis, incendium, gloria, cultum, et cetera, et cetera, memo, beast punitor, delictium. It is all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy, lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing You lose. Good day, sir. Grandpa Joe says, You're a crook. You're a cheat and a swindler. That's what you are. How could you do something like this? Build up a little boy's hopes and then smash all his dreams to pieces. You're an inhuman monster. I said, Good day. Remember when I had when I said that we have to be careful about misunderstanding the character of Jesus? And newsflash, and I do not mean this to be disrespectful in any way to Christ. Jesus is not like Willy Wonka. God is not a God who's waiting to pull the rug out for under human beings at the last minute to deny them their promised reward. He isn't Scrooge looking for any opportunity to withhold blessings on a technicality. No, nothing could be farther from the truth. God takes pleasure in saving His people. If we trust in what Jesus says, and we can. If we take Him at His word, and we should... Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Make sure to look at that. He came to save the lost. That's why He came from heaven to earth. That's why He came to save us from our sins. Think with me, if He didn't want to save us, why would He have come? Why would He have died on a cross? Why would He have lived in a, as a poor man, the servant, in a backwoods area, I know there weren't woods there, but in a backcountry area in Galilee, traveled on foot His whole life, unless except the moment when He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, been rejected by high society, and killed executed as a criminal. Why would He have done that? He's not a moral monster. He's not a double-crosser. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And adding to that, Christ has given us unmistakably clear guidance about who really belongs to Him. Now let's go back to Matthew 7. Open up your Bibles again if they aren't open specifically to verse 20, where Jesus says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And you're going, oh, okay, what, what, what are you talking about? He, here Jesus, context, context, context. If you look at the verses beginning at verse 24, following the warning passage that I read earlier, Jesus provides us with an illustration of a man who what? Hears Jesus' words and does them. They're considered a wise man. They build their house on a rock. Those who hear Jesus' words and does not do them is called foolish. They're likened to building their house on a sand, and when the storms come to both houses, one stands and one falls. There are no punches being pulled here. There's no hidden agenda. God is looking for what verse 21 declares the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Church, hear me. The fact that Jesus tells us, let me put it even in stronger terms, warns us of the danger of self-deception as proof of his love, proof of his mercy. He wants us to pay attention and to heed his words. It's like a fire alarm going off. It should jolt us. We need to understand. We need to make sure of our standing before God. Don't be self-deceived. Examine yourselves. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do, not, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In case some of you think I've quoted Paul too many times in my time in the pulpit, let's see what Peter says. Peter says this in his final letter. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Well, what are these qualities that Peter's talking about? In verse 5, he implored them to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That can only come from the inside out. You cannot make this happen on your own. These godly men cared about the people who would read their letters. These godly men, writing as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And they did what? They warned those who they cared about to look carefully at their lives. To look carefully before it was too late. Church, that's why I want us to look at what what the scriptures say, what they tell us, maybe even more specifically what Christ tells us exactly, how we must examine ourselves to understand whether we are in the faith. Ideally, this should be done in the context of the local church. I want to make a shameless plug concerning growth groups. They begin again in a month or so. And the goal goal of these smaller gatherings of Christians is always to be moving towards Christ. That's the goal. We call it moving towards the right. And it's specifically to receive Christ as Lord and to live with Christ as Lord. As we meet together to study God's Word, as we share our lives with each other, and and then we pray and we care for each other, we get to know each other more deeply, but we become closer to God as well. After this morning's passage, I, I hope that we can see that we're not always the best judge of characters concerning ourselves, are we? We think, I've got it going on. No, you might not. Because I know this is a news flash. I have blind spots. And my brothers and sisters from the particular growth group that I have been in, they've helped me see those lovingly. And they pray. We need to be caring and honest brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into, your, into our lives. But enough of that about growth groups. I want to finish today by having you meditate on a few thoughts. This might be a time where you get that piece of paper out that's provided for you, and you might write maybe these questions down. You're not going to be quizzed on it for me. I'm not going to ask you what you... I really want you to look at these. The first question I want you to ask, do Jesus' words of warning recorded in Matthew 7, specifically 21-23, to make you uncomfortable? And then the follow-up to that question, if they do, why? Another question I'd like you to think about is is why do you think that it's not enough to just say you're a Christian? And do yourself a favor. Don't give the Sunday school answer. Even though I heard, I think you heard the answers today from the scriptures, but the answer is not enough to say, Bible church, pray, move on. I want to go eat dinner. and I'm gonna get real personal now. Have you ever examined your life to see whether you are really a Christian? If not, why not? If so, what criteria did you use? Was it that I made a confession at Heartland Christian Camp when I was young? Was it when I went to a a revival meeting and walked an aisle? After using what criteria did you use, what did you conclude? If after you examined your life and have come to understand that you need to make a change, what can you do? What can you do? It's an old biblical word that many people don't often use today. Repent. Change your mind. And when you change your mind, it changes your actions doing a 180, whereas you might have been trusting about what you've done, the good things that you've done, or you come to realize that it is only God who can do anything and He does it through you. Have you been wrongly confident about your spiritual state? Have you been trusting in what you've done and accomplished rather than trusting in this finished work of Christ that leads to a changed life? Call on Him. We do know the words in Romans 9, Romans 10, do we not? Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I trust in that promise. What can we all do? What we all can do is not always trust in our own perception of things. We all need to grow in humility. It's all God or nothing. What do we need to remember that will help us in this? This verse. I want Jessica to leave this verse on so you can copy it down. I want you to write it down. Meditate on this truth this week. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God for our sake, for my sake. He, God the Father, made Him, Christ, to be sin. Jesus bore the wrath of God, which we deserved. And by trusting in Him, By believing in Him, throwing your whole life on Him, grabbing onto Him and not letting go. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're not a Christian just because you say you are. What does God say?